All right, you can hear me now better. Is that better? All right. Had somebody approached me and said, thank you for launching Encounter because what you do is really, really hard because you are running a life or death ministry. It'd been easy for you to, to start a church, but folks, this is a church. It's just Friday night church. And I don't know about you, but I just think Friday night church is the coolest church to be at. But it's, it's not just that it's cool, but it is a life or death ministry. Because we believe, in, we believe in the power of God. We don't just believe in going to a meeting or saying a mantra or reciting this prayer or that prayer to help sustain us. We're not about sobriety. We're not about maintaining. We're about becoming new creations in Christ, being resurrected new. We're about the blind seeing. We're about the lame walking. We're about the dead rising. And we believe that. We truly believe that. And in, with today's testimony, you're going to be so encouraged. And so with today's testimony, I was just reading scripture after scripture all day about all the people that were resurrected from death to life. And there's actually, there's actually thousands and thousands upon people from the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament that were raised from the dead back to life. I was in Luke this morning. And Luke 7 says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with them. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. And then he went up and he touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. As astonishing as, as that sounds, and, and that, that is, and I don't know about you, but I just believe what I read here. And I believe what's, the scripture that's up here in Hebrews, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that what God did back then, he can do today. And he has done that today. And I just feel, we were praying about renaming a lot of our, a lot of our groups, and I had a good friend approach me and said, why don't we just call them hope and encouragement groups? And so instead of having issue-specific groups, we're actually going to have hope and encouragement groups. And I was talking to Kevin Malone, I was here with his son, Sean, and you're going to see his story here in just a second. And we we're just talking about, hey, what do you want to talk about after your story is being told? And he says, hope and encouragement. And for a lot of you, maybe you've lost it. Maybe your hope tank is down. Maybe your encouragement tank is down. And you need a little pick-me-up. All of us do. I don't care who you are. If you look at the very next scripture after that, if there was anyone who should have had confidence in Jesus, who should always have hope, who should always have faith, it would be John the Baptist. If anyone believed in the ministry of Jesus Christ, it would be John the Baptist. And watch the very next scripture. It says in verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things, calling, calling two of them, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one 
who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Wow. Did he lose faith? Because it sounds like he's doubting. And when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And at that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, and I love the gentleness of Jesus. And he said this, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now, there are so many accounts of people being raised from the dead in Scripture. You know, when Jesus breathed his last breath, Matthew's account is that I don't know how many people, but said many people of faith rose from the dead when he breathed his last breath and walked through the towns. There's accounts in the Old Testament of Elisha and Elijah praying for someone to come back to life. And there are so many accounts in the New Testament. But now, tonight, you're going to hear an account of someone today. You're going to hear an account of someone who prayed to God to spare his son. And you're going to be encouraged by the story of Kevin and Sean. Because it's a modern-day account of the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be encouraged. Look up. Look straight at me, Sean. Let's see if I can see any of that. Let's see a big smile, Sean. This big crowd mostly in blue, and he swings. It's a high fly ball to deep left field. It is a way out and gone. And the Dodgers win a big game. The Dodgers have made another move today in their roller coaster season. Well, after a year of instability, both on and off the field, the Fox Group finally got something right in the front office. And today, the Dodgers hired former Orioles assistant general manager Kevin Malone. The 71-year-old Lasorda says the GM job is for a younger man. My wife felt that uh, I should uh, <clears throat> not be doing it, so I'm handing the baton to uh, Kevin. <laughs> Go, Sean! Run, run, run! As Tommy would say, I feel truly blessed to be a Los Angeles Dodger. Kevin became uh, general manager of the Dodgers in August 1998. He was gone probably 250, 270 days out of the year and worked overtime and, you know, family became second. It's difficult because you're alone a lot. I would have liked to have someone around. I was lonely and I was raising two kids by myself. As far as interacting, you know, on a daily basis with the kids, he wasn't, he wasn't there. 
Sean growing up was, um, was an amazing kid. He was funny, uh, fun-loving. Uh, Sean and I were not that close growing up. I feel like we were always around hanging out, but on a deeper level, I didn't really know him as well as I should. When I first met him, he, he was innocent. You know, he had, he had not got that far. Um, but you could tell that there was something he was searching. There was something he, he was looking for. I think we were really close, especially with Kevin being on the road a lot. We kind of were alone a lot. He did karate. He did um, basketball, football, golf. He did all the different sports. He enjoyed them. To be completely honest, what it was like when Sean was born was I was basically focused on other things. I had things to do. I had players to scout. I had a team to help win a championship. I felt like uh, there was more important things. Unfortunately, it, when I say that now, it makes me sick to my stomach. I think back about being gone all the time and really not thinking much about it, thinking I was a good father because I was providing and giving them all the things that they wanted. I didn't realize until much later that what they wanted was me. Sean hid his lifestyle very well. Um, it wasn't until the very end when things started, you know, becoming more noticeable. Sean started getting into drugs probably in high school. I knew he was up to something. I think the norm for most people is to start exploring uh, with substances and alcohol. There's a lot of pressure to, you know, fit in, but I think overall the norm is to start dabbling and start experimenting and just kind of see what else is out there beyond the family household. When he got to USC, it was full-blown chaos. These are kids that had resources, had money, they had all the drugs, all the alcohol, so it escalated. How can we just do anything to not be with ourselves? Because I'm not comfortable just being, you know, me. The more that you do this, the greater your tolerance gets. And so that means you have to take more and more in order to achieve the same desired effect. That's why it's so dangerous, is because you're chasing a feeling, and, and I believe that the the feeling that you're chasing is actually you're seeking a spiritual experience. There's got to be something more going on. I don't think Kevin wanted to talk because, you know, it's, I'm guessing it's my words, but there, there has to be some shame. Um, I know in my friendship with Kevin, I, I know how much he cared about Sean. And I know how much he, uh, how much he loved him, how guilty he felt being gone when he was in baseball. And uh, I'm sure he put a lot of the blame on himself, the fact uh, that he was struggling with an addiction and, and didn't want anybody to know. Maybe me being gone so much created a, a loneliness or a void in his life that I wasn't uh, the father that he needed. He totaled four cars uh, in the span of about four, five years maybe, but never had a scratch on him. So he felt he was invincible, which is part of the problem with him. Being like me, living on the edge, feeling he was invincible, he was living like he didn't care if he died or not. living in Santa Monica, and um, I knew Sean had 
taken some drugs and I didn't want him driving because I didn't want him to hurt anybody else. And so he quickly grabbed the keys and started to run out of the house and Kevin ran after him. I knew he had some drugs on him, but I knew he had a lot of drugs in his car and he was leaving and I, w I wasn't ready to deal with that. He runs out the door and he's, he grabbed his keys and I knew he was taking off. So I chased him out, outside on the driveway. I said, give me those keys, give me the drugs if you've got any on you. And we wrestled and it was wrestling back and forth and he ended up throwing me on the ground. horrible because Kevin came in crying because he didn't couldn't believe Sean would do that to him would you know just push him aside like that and and go on for drugs To, to England, and so I got a call from mom. She said, hey, Peter, you need to come and say goodbye to Sean. We don't know if he'll make it through the night. So I, I flew back uh, and I went to the hospital and um, he was at St. John's. Um, and he was just, you know, gone in some way. I'll never forget walking into the room and, and seeing Sean laying in the bed with, with the tubes and, and lifeless. I believe they said once I got there that, you know, he had done drugs and he was unconscious and not breathing for a long time, so that there was a loss of oxygen to his brain. They told me, you know, that Sean uh, probably's not gonna make it. When I first saw Sean in the hospital, it's one of those things as a dad where I've got my little girl with me and my first thought is, Wow, was she ready to see this? I didn't realize it was gonna look this bad. I wanted to cry. It was just so weird. I didn't. I wasn't used to that. When I saw him, it was just like looked like he was dead. So I went out into the waiting room and just started praying. I started calling every man of God, woman of God I knew, texting, emailing, pray for my son. The words were that we don't think he's gonna make it. Something's wrong, he's dying, everything's shutting down. He's got pneumonia, all his vitals, they're, 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 they're shutting down. We don't think we can save him. We don't know what's gonna happen, it doesn't look good. So, I'm not gonna stay in there and watch him die. It was kind of surreal in that I was doing something I had, had assumed at one point I'd have to do. These are MRIs obtained on Sean from July 6, 2013 at St. John's Hospital. So these are all little strokes in his brain. These changes are consistent with what we would call an anoxic brain injury. At the time Sean was in the hospital, he was the USC the kid that overdosed. And across the hallway, there was a UCLA kid that had overdosed. And um, it's unpleasant. When patients die, I don't sleep that night. 
admitted Sean almost 30 days after his injury, he was still in a state of profound impaired consciousness. And he was completely paralyzed. He was 100% dependent on others for his care. At first, you just kind of go blank when they tell you that, that your son is gone. And my thought was, he doesn't know the Lord. I can't imagine my son in hell. I mean, that's what really broke my heart, was that there was no hope for him if he couldn't come out of that. So my prayer then became, God, if he knows you, take him home. If he doesn't know you, I want a full miracle. I, I, need, I need this. Uh, the doctors were telling us, we don't think he's going to make it. He could wake up, but he'd be a vegetable. Sean wouldn't want to live like this. You know, it's best after 30 days to pull the plug on him. So that was, that was really tough. Unfortunately, when your life changes in a moment, the grief is unimaginable. 22 years old, it's just too young to die. And he swings with a As a pastor, I felt like I was doing a funeral every month at least, um, sometimes several, because things just end suddenly, unexpectedly. I couldn't understand why, why God could do, uh, do that. Uh, you knew there was, there was something ahead for him, but all of a sudden, you saw the end just right there in front of you. And that was really difficult uh, for me and to watch family uh, that you'd known that protected him, that loved him that much, uh, that they had come to the end of his life. Sean, let me see, look up. Look straight at me, Sean. Let's see if I can see any of that. Let's see a big smile, Sean. I remember Kevin praying that evening and we're beside his bed. There was there was a, a tear that, that came out of, of Sean's eye. Now, you have to understand, he's lifeless. The doctors are saying he's brain dead. There, there is, there's nothing there. He's, he's gone. He started crying. And it was weird. And I thought he wasn't supposed to do anything. Then all of a sudden, like, tears were coming out of his eyes. And I was just like, any, any, uh, any cough, any blinking of the eye, you know, there's textbooks that are gonna say it's just, it's just reactionary. I felt that evening he was, he was communicating to his dad because his dad was so broken and he loved him so, so much. And he was just crying out, just say, God, just save my son. Just, just, just save my son. There was a tech in there with Sean. They would talk to him just like he was, you know, there and able to speak back. And that's what happened. He spoke back to her, scared her to death.
My name is Sean Malone, and my age is 25 years old. Back in college, I was getting straight A's and doing drugs at the same time. My parents said I was in a coma for two months. I didn't think I was broken, but I was back in the day. I thought there was a God, but I didn't have a relationship with him. There's many wonderful people that we know that have lost their children to drugs. Um, so are we deserving? No. God just um, blessed our life to give us Sean back. I saw him literally gone, gone. All I could hear were machines. And to see him smile, walk, finish school, and go to church with us, I can't believe that he's here. I want to say thank you for my dad saving me when I was not breathing and my mom for fighting so hard to, to just be with me every day. Amazing. What would you have done if I died? I probably would have died too. You know, the physical story of Sean is great, but I, I think the spiritual story is so much greater and, and way, way more important. Um, because we're all gonna die. That's a guarantee. Now, spiritual life isn't a guarantee. Because once you die, it's over. The question is, is what comes after? And can you be sure of that? Did you see heaven? No, I did not. That would been cool to see it, though. But I didn't. Well, a lot of people um, want to know what he saw in a coma, or if he saw God, or if he went to heaven. And really, Sean saw nothing. God came down to Sean. I was in the hospital. I was with my dad. And then I asked for forgiveness of my sins and asked Jesus Christ to come to my life. I was so close, the guy was amazing. That was like, he was my friend. Jesus is so different from all these other gods or religions. Um, one, the fact that he reached down and lowered himself and suffered for my sake. And the other big one is that he says, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise from the dead. And then he pulled it off. And you think about the disciples who, I mean, they, they ran away when he was crucified. But then when they saw that he literally rose from the dead, now suddenly these men are filled with this courage, like he really does have power over death. So, I, so it's great that Sean's walking around laughing, uh, but it's far, far more important to me that he knows God now and he's gonna be with him forever. You know, from what happens from here on in is, is fine with me. I can deal with, because I know where he's going. I never thought we'd be doing this a year and a half, two years ago. Yep. I thank God that we uh, can play catch again. Yeah. Right here.
Well, we are so honored uh, to have Kevin Malone and his son Sean here live with us tonight. Would you welcome Kevin Malone and Sean here tonight? I was a full-blown addict with regards to alcohol, Xanax, Roxy, cocaine, and weed. Also told four cars without a scratch on my body, which contributed to the fact me feeling untouchable. From an outsider's perspective, people thought I was out of control. I thought I was in complete control at all times, and invisible to say the least. A Bible verse that's especially relevant to my story, First Peter 2.9, is, Him who called you of darkness into his marvelous light. I boxed at Mayweather Boxing Club and fight fit in Victoria, Australia. I was doing all these drugs while I got really good grades at the University of Southern California, Axel Marks, while I studied by the University of Melbourne. Got back from Australia, saw my parents briefly, and then I got a cash advance on my credit card. Then my travels took me to Hollywood to get some Roxy's. From there, I went to Maria Del Rey to smoke a few of these pills with some of my friends. It was getting late, I didn't want my parents to worry, so I went home and said goodnight to them. Then I went into my room and crashed and stored the remainder of my pills. My, then my father found me unresponsive in my bed on July 2nd, 2013. I went to several hospitals, then I was airlines to Craig Hospital in Inglewood, Colorado. Then a radical transformation transpired. I was wondering how this could have happened, how I could have survived. Came to the only conclusion that was through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, that I'm alive and thriving in Him today. As Galatians 5.16 states, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not care at the desire of the flesh. Let me give you some advice. Please don't take the same road that I took because some of you may not get a second chance. Some of you out there may be seeking wealth beyond your wildest dreams. Maybe it's a drug or a drink to make you not remember anything or not forget about something. Or it's a failed relationship with a woman leaving you wanting more. Or it's a feeling of hopelessness in your life. Or it's a void in your life. Jesus is the answer. He's strong and more powerful than the most powerful drug. He can fill that void in your life and make you feel whole. He'll make you contend all your relationship issues. As Romans 5, 2 through 5 says, through him we have, I just learned this, so please bear with me. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the glory of God. Not only this, but we rejoice in our sufferings Knowing suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not lead, to, lead us to shame, for the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As Jeremiah 29, 11 states, but I say walk by the Spirit and do, no, never mind. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of possible and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Here's my dad. Thank you. Well, every time I watch that uh, movie, I, uh, I'm just uh, humbled by the mercy and grace of God and his goodness and uh, it was a painful experience, but one that, uh, as I reflect back on, uh, taught me a lot of lessons. I wanted to spend a little time in the Word because uh, 
when we were going through this experience, the 60 days uh, in the wilderness, so to speak, when Sean was in his coma, uh, it was really, really heavy and dark as we were told that there was no hope by the neurologist, by all the experts, by man. And I remember early on in this experience, Dr. Siegel, who you saw in the, in the movie, uh, basically said, you guys really need to pull his feeding tube and starve him to death. And I said, you know, no, God just basically, I quoted Jeremiah 29, 11, that God had a plan for him and a purpose. And he said, he kind of laughed and said, well, we'll see. And I said, yeah, we will see. Uh, and uh, 60 days later, um, God rose him from the dead. So, but let me read a little bit from John 11. I just love this and uh, for a lot of reasons, but let me just start in verse 30, 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go a couple of points from this this word and uh, that is really impressed upon my heart the that God is Jehovah Rapha the almighty healer uh, verse 40 if you believed basically did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I guess the question I have for each one of us tonight is, have you seen the glory of God? Have you had an encounter with the living God? I want to get real for a few minutes here. You know, as Bill said earlier, this is life and death. This is a life and death matter. Not only for Sean was it a physical life and death situation four years ago, but it was a spiritual. He did not have a relationship with God. He did not have faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was basically on his way to hell, and God reached down and gave him a second chance. So the question I have is uh, to you is about the glory of God. Have you had this encounter with God? Do you know, have you seen the glory of God? Really, I mean, seriously. Let, this isn't about pretending or fooling around or any. This is a real question you need to ask. Do you know and do you, are, do you feel that you, if you died tonight, you would go and spend eternity in heaven? I mean, do you believe that with all your heart? If you don't, you can know that. You can know the glory of God. In verse 43, it says, Lazarus came out. 
and I believe God is saying, Jesus is calling each of us here tonight to come out of the darkness. If you're in any kind of darkness, we can be followers of Jesus and still be kind of playing around in our sin and our darkness. He's calling us to come out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Let's read, I want to read that whole, that's, that whole uh, 1 Peter 2.9. Let me just read that to you. Because see, here's the problem. We don't know who we are in Christ. We don't know what our identity is. We're always trying to please man. We think we're this, hey, I'm Kevin Malone, GM of the Dodgers. Hey, I'm Kevin Malone on Mercedes-Benz Valencia. Hey, this, hey, that. No, who am I in Christ? What is your identity? Do you know who you are? First Peter, I get excited about this because I'm, I'm passionate and excited about Jesus. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you, I mean, do you believe that? Are you living that? Are you in the light? Are you dabbling in sin? Are you dabbling in something that's in the darkness? And then we wonder why God doesn't bless us. You know, we want to play around on you know, away from God, and then we don't want to be totally sold out. We don't want to be surrendered. We don't want to be obedient. We want our cake and eat it too, so to speak. Interesting enough, chosen race, that means that it's a corporate identity. That's the church, but it's made up of individuals who were chosen. You were chosen by God. You are a chosen race. God chose you. The royal priesthood, you have immediate and direct access to God through God. And you are part of this holy nation. You are set apart from God. You exist for God. Your identity is in the holiness of the Lord. See, we exist for this reason. People, what's my purpose in life? Sean said, God is, you know, as he quoted Jeremiah 29, 11. Here's why you and I exist. That you proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the full-time destiny of a royal priest. You are a priest if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. As a priest, what, are we, what is our responsibility? What is our role? To make the glories of the king known. We live to make him known. I mean, I've had everything the world has to offer. I've had these jobs. I've had these cars. I've had these houses. I've had these experiences. Nothing compares to being in the presence of God. So my encouragement to people is, are you seeking him wholeheartedly? Are you seeking, as they used to say back in the day in, in the Old Testament, are you seeking the face of God? Are you seeking to be in his presence? I've won world championships in baseball. I've got a ring, that, a world championship ring. Nothing the world has to offer compares to being in his presence, to being surrendered to him. Nothing like it. I mean, it's real. I'm mean, just telling. I mean, I'm not saying those other things are bad because they are pretty good from the world standards. But to be in the presence of God, to feel his love, mercy and grace, there's nothing compared to it. I'll close up here and then I'll build and then we'll have a few questions. But verse 44, back in John 11, it says, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus is saying, be set free, unbind him. Be set free from bondage, from your chains, from whatever has enslaved you. 
Jesus saying here, as he said to Lazarus, he's saying this to every one of us. I'm freeing you. You can go. Sean was a slave, as we saw, to drugs, alcohol, other things in his life. Some of you sitting out there might be enslaved to gambling or pornography or laziness. or Like I was enslaved to work. I was a workaholic. We're, oftentimes we are in bondage or enslaved to something. But right here it says, Jesus is saying, he will unbind you and let you go. If you're a slave... You lack the power, the purpose, and the identity that God has for you. As I said, we all sometimes can get caught up and be a slave. Today is about victory, living a victorious, abundant life. A lot of people, I see a lot of Christians, I don't know, man, they, they, talk, they, they say they're Christians, and I watch their life, I, 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 I watch what they say and the way they live, there's no joy. I mean, if that's what you got, I don't really want any of it, and Neither does the world. I mean, if we don't have the joy of the Lord, I mean, what, what do you have? I mean, what, why? I mean, I, I can't imagine doing life without him, but if you're not experiencing the victorious life, and I know there are, I wasn't experiencing going through that. I'm saying there's periods in our life where we're going to struggle. Life is hard. Life will kick you when you're down and try to beat you and take, take advantage of you, but... Here's the way I got through it. If any of you are going through a difficult time, whatever it may be, whatever your challenge is, whatever is, is holding you down right now, what I did to get through this, and I thought about some crazy stuff. I thought about ending my own life going through this because it was just heavy. I would read the word. I would have people read the word to me. I would listen to worship music. I would pray. I would have other people pray. I would fast. I just cried out to God. I just held on to Jesus and clung on to him and said, you are my hope. As Peter, as Jesus said to Peter, when everybody left Jesus, where's everybody else? You going to leave too, Peter? And what'd he say? Where else is there to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are you going to run off to? A bottle, a drug, a man or a woman, something else, gambling, pornography? You've got to hang on to him. He is the truth. I know it's hard. Life is hard. I've been blessed, but there are times, and we all go through this, where it, the spiritual warfare is just, it, it, gets, it gets up on you, and it just beats on you sometimes. And you just have to hang in there. Some days just hanging in there is pretty good. So, but it says in 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Living a victorious life begins and starts with faith in Jesus. If you don't have faith in Jesus, if he isn't real to you, if he's not the priority in your life, I don't know how you're surviving. I really don't. I don't know how people survive without Jesus. It's pretty hard surviving when you have him sometimes. But without him, I don't know. I don't know how you get by. Entering into a personal relationship with Jesus means we are overcomers. I think of the Mandisa song, Overcomer. You are an overcomer. Stay in the fight. Bend down, hit the bottom, hit the ground. Hang on to his promises. That's what I was doing when he was in his coma and they were saying, pull the plug. And I said, no, we're praying and fasting and we're going to just trust in God to, to bring him back from the dead. Just hung on to Jesus because it was hard. The word overcomer 
that means literally translated in the Greek means victor. Overcomer means victor. The verb means to conquer, to have victory, to have superiority, to defeat. You know, positionally, we have conquered the world, conquered death, and conquered the devil. But practically, what does that mean? That we have to exercise and put on the full armor of God. We have to live the victory day to day. We have to be intentional. We have to take every thought captive. We have to pray. We have to read the word. We have to, we have to really, this is a fight. I mean, the devil's trying to, he's trying to destroy us. We know what the Bible says. He comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we have, may have life and may have it more abundantly. We have to be disciplined and stay in the word, stay in prayer, and fast and serve and surrender. I'll close again with, uh, to experience this victory, to be an overcomer, it takes knowing who you are in Christ, what I talked about, our identity, who we are in Jesus. And I appreciate Sean, you know, sharing that, that sharing his testimony, because as a father, I was a failure. Yeah, a lot of people knew me as a successful baseball person or a businessman or this or that, but I was an absentee father, and I wasn't a very good husband because I worked all the time. I was always gone. But God gave me a second chance. And I believe it's to proclaim the excellencies of his glory as he called my son out of the darkness into, into the light as he's done with, my, with me and my wife and my daughter. So uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. Um, uh, time is, is really valuable. Uh, and I love being with followers of Jesus and people that are seeking him wholeheartedly. And, and if you're struggling and, and, you, and, and you're, like Bill said, your, your hope is maybe a little down or your encouragement is down, I can tell you and with all my heart that God is faithful. He will see you through whatever you're going through. He loves you, and sometimes you don't know if he does, and I know you, we all battle that, but he does. We know he does. He's faithful, and as Bill said, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, this is an amazing God that, that loved us so much. I just uh, am blown away by it. And uh, we live in a crazy world right now, as we all know. It's chaotic. It it's just doesn't make much sense. But uh, uh, we know uh, the end of the story, and we know where we're going to spend eternity. So if any of you out there don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you've never repented, Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins if you haven't, because he died for you. He shed his blood for you so that you could know him. You could have access to the Father. You could be right with the Father. It's not about doing good works. It's not about church. It's not about any of that. It's about faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. He paid the price so that you could know him and his Father and spend eternity with him. And, and the abundant life, what Jesus was talking about, doesn't start when we get to heaven. It starts here on earth. We can start living and experiencing the abundant life. Doesn't mean we're not going to have challenges. Not, we're not going to get kicked a few times. That's the world we live in. That's the life. Uh, that's, that's the world, and that's because of the sin in the world. Bill, you want to come up? And, but thank you for your time. I can't come up without this. Hey, before you leave, uh, stay up here for a second. Uh, we talked about... Uh, Anybody, I want to give you guys an opportunity, ex-Kevin ex or even Sean, maybe a, we'll take maybe just one or two questions. And then after we're done with taking a couple of questions, I want to give everyone the opportunity to respond 
to the invitation uh, that the Holy Spirit has, has so eloquently worked through Kevin and Sean to surrender your life, to commit your life to Jesus Christ, or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, but I'm going to take a question or two. We, we, we rarely ever do this, but tonight we're going to do this. Uh, and so just raise your hand if you've got a, if you got a question. Even, you even if it's about the Dodgers, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> so no, yes, sir. What is, the question was for Sean is, what, what are you doing now? What's God doing in your life? Where are you at? Right now I'm seeing God wholeheartedly, and I'm also uh, lear- uh, learning Hebrew in uh, Master's College, and also I'm um, uh, taking two classes this next fall. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, thank you. The, uh, the exciting thing is... Uh, the movie is now in five languages, and we were just in Israel, and we showed it. it we've had it in C Hebrew subtitles, so we were in Jerusalem a couple months ago, and uh, what a blessing. I mean, we go there. I mean, I don't know if you, if you ever get a chance. I mean, that should be on everyone's bucket list. I've been blessed to be a few times, and Sean has too, and if you go, if you can go, but, uh, but we have an Amric, which is a, 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 a language in Ethiopia, and they're showing it, and I mean, God is really using it there, and we have it in Spanish. We just got it translated into Farsi, and they're showing it in the Middle East. It's being satellite on a couple, uh, being broadcast on a couple satellites, and we're praying about doing it in Arabic and uh, in English, which is my hardest language. I'm from the South. I'm from Kentucky, and I have trouble with English. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm from Louisville, not Kentucky. I know, I know. She's a country gal. <laughs> yes, Ashley. That's a great, the question, you guys heard the question, uh, how difficult, I think it was difficult, but because during that process, uh, going through it, uh, until Sean came out of his coma, and then even through the therapy, because when he came out of the coma, he was blind, he couldn't stand up, I mean, he could talk, but he talked real fast and real, real low, and they had to reteach him how to stand, how to walk. And they, they couldn't believe his vision because his, his vision was like looking through a, a, a needle a hole. And eventually, each time the doctors would sing, it would open up more and more. And they said, what a, it's a miracle. The great thing about it was we were in Inglewood, Colorado at Craig Hospital, a great traumatic brain in, hospital in America. And that Dr. Weintraub you saw in the movie is the best in the world because I... Made a lot of calls and did a lot of background, and this guy was a blessing from God that he knew what he was doing. So, you know, we're called to do everything we can. It's like being on the Sea of Galilee and you see a storm coming, so you're rowing and paddling. You're doing everything you can, but you're praying and hoping that God does what he can do, which he does. So we went and we were blessed that we could get to the best doctor, which was a... Because two hospitals basically kicked us out here in L.A., they once said your money's going to run, insurance money's going to run out, and plus we don't think we can help him, and you need to pull the feeding tube. And, and then they sent us a couple of times to see these like old folks' homes. Kindred and Care Meridian. Kindred, kindred, I mean, I'm telling you what, these things, we went and saw them, 
And that's where they just sent old people just to go and just lay in bed and die. And they wanted me to put my 23-year-old son in there. But anyway, there's a lot of experiences to this. But, uh, but uh, the question is, how do we... Rec- so after we were coming through it, Ashley, I think what we did was, uh, by the grace of God, we were able to, when we felt healthy enough and he could actually leave the hospital and far enough in his therapy, we moved back from, from Inglewood to Malibu. So we lived in Malibu for a year and a half. And uh, you guys know when you go and visit it, that kind of the peace of God, shalom. I mean, it's just the beach and the ocean and the creation, the beauty of God. We, we were able to live there and just kind of experience that. I mean, I was working and doing my stuff, but, but we were able to actually just kind of. So uh, on a more practical standpoint, I think it was just, you know, God kind of broke our hearts and kind of allowed us that when we were together, we appreciated the time that we now had. And I realized at a fa- as a father what I needed to do to be a better husband and, and father. And I think his sister appreciated that she had him back and my wife Marilyn who you saw I mean was uh she was she's the star of the whole deal I mean she's the star of the show I mean she's the one that kept it together and going through it Ashley I was telling because her and I got into it a few times because she would blame me I would blame her you know how it is you're just like mad and you're hurt and you don't know what to do and and I would spend every night with him like my wife Marilyn would get there like at eight in the morning and stay till like six seven at night then I'd come, I'd be there part of the time, but then I'd stay overnight. I tell you what, it's scary. Hospitals are scary. If you got somebody staying there, you need, somebody needs to stay with them because I was with him every night from eight until eight in the morning watching the care. And these are the, the best hospitals in America. It's scary. They'll neglect you. They won't do what they're supposed to do. They'll give, do the wrong thing. They won't. I, and these are the best hospitals. So anyway, that's, that's a side note. But, uh, but you know what? I knew the great physician. I knew the best physician. And Jesus had it all under control. But I don't know if I answered your question, Ashley. I, I think uh, the way that we recover was, it was like God just gave us this kind of gratefulness and thankfulness and we were able just to praise him and thank him so it was day by day as Sean said um, you know this movie came about it's an interesting story uh, Brian Ivy who did the Dropbox if you've not seen that it's about uh, a, a pastor in South Korea that takes in babies that uh, are deformed or have handicaps or uh, born to maybe teenage girls that are going to abort them or put them in a garbage can in an alley or whatever. So this guy, the Dropbox is this pastor in South Korea in Seoul. He put like a, like a, like you go to the post office, a big thing, like you put a box in and well, he's got this in his house. So you put your baby in this thing, close it up, a bell rings and it goes into his house. So he's taking over 300 deformed babies. And so, so Brian Ivey, who was in the cinematography at USC, uh, who you're going to hear a lot about, he got, he came to know the Lord, got right with the Lord, making this movie in Korea, and now he's making faith-based uh, films, and and I heard him speaking, share his testimony, it blew me away, a couple months later we connected, and we were thinking about doing a three or four minute kind of clip for Sean to, before he could go and speak at churches, and then they started filming, we filmed for three and a half, four days, and uh, they made it 20 minutes long, and I tell you what, God is anointed, we 
I don't know if you guys do this much, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you really want a breakthrough, if you really want victory, fast. I mean, the Bible's full of it. I, don't, I never hear anybody talking about it, preaching about it, or doing it. But I read it in here, and then when people pray and fast, you see the miracles of God. You see things happening. You know, it doesn't look like I'm fasting a whole lot right now, but uh, I have, and I do. Uh, but anyway, so no, I, that would be an encouragement, I think, Bill, to, to, your, to the folks here is if you really want a breakthrough, and sometimes I know there's health issues and you can't, or, but fasting, I believe God is honored and pleased and blesses us when we fast. So, but I'm getting off. I can go. I can talk. I'm from Kentucky, so we can go. Well, would we you can, come back and, and would you? Uh, I'd love to come back and. Uh, I just, I just, one more question. Is there one more question? Because, yeah, yes, sir. You want to give a little bit, and then I'll tell them the, fun, the funny story. How, how was the, the reaction of the nurses or the doctors or the techs in Colorado or here? Or whatever? In Colorado, they're really surprised. They're like, wow, I can't believe you spoke. Because I was actually on the toilet when I said, she said, are you still pooping? I said, yeah. <laughs> too much info. Uh, too much information there, I guess. Uh, I don't know what the moral of that story is, but... Uh, I don't know. I guess that's a good story. Uh, but an interesting story. Uh, we came back to L.A. We went to see Dr. Siegel in this uh, movie, was the one that kept telling us to pull the feeding tube. Uh, we went and saw him, the whole family. And uh, we went into the, his office, and uh, we said we're here to see him. And then we went back to his, his actual desk office. And he said, I kind of remember you, but I wasn't real sure. And then... Uh, Sean just said, hey, we're here to see you, Sean Malone, da-da-da. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean says, I want to forgive you, Dr. Siegel, for trying to kill me. Oh, I tell you what. This guy, I don't really care if he gets it. This is the most arrogant, pompous dude that I had ever met. Well, not ever, but he's up in the, in the top ten. But when we, he, I've never seen a man so humble and so thankful. And it kind of really changed. And what he said was, I now have seen someone live and come back. He didn't say come back from the dead, but to turn this around. So I will not be so adamant about telling moms and dads to pull the feeding tube in the future, that there is hope, that miracles do happen. So who knows? Maybe for Sean, this, it happened. We were grateful, but maybe this man needed to see the movie and needed to tell parents there is hope. So. Sean started a ministry called Bringer. When he came out of his coma, uh, his therapist, he kept saying, do you know, they kept saying, do you know what happened to you? This lady did, and he said, I'm Bringer, I'm Bringer. And we didn't know for a while what that meant, but he was saying, I'm, I was brain injured. So he ran it together, Bringer. So he started this ministry nonprofit called Bringer. So what he's trying to do is help families and people that are going through that have type, different types of brain injuries. Uh, so, but uh, we're just grateful and thankful. But I just want to say, and I'll close up, Bill, is that uh, don't give up on your hopes and dreams, that God is a God of miracles. Sometimes our, it's, it's always in his timing, and I know I'm not very patient, and uh, I want things yesterday. And I just, I would encourage you, just don't give up hope. 
Just keep clinging, keep seeking, keep hanging on, keep crying out. God is faithful. He will respond. It might not be the way you think. I look back and think of all the things in my life that I thought were going to go this way, but they went this way. And then I look back and I saw what God was doing and how he was sovereign and how he was, you know, the one thing I know is, is he loves us. He knows what's best for us. And we know the Bible says that all good and perfect things come from him. So my prayer, which Sean and I were talking about this the other day, uh, he, he works out with a, with, a, with a physical therapist at Gold's Gym in, in Venice, and we were driving down there, and I said, you know what, Sean, my prayer life has really changed in the last period of time. I don't know how long. I used to, you know, pray, like, and hopefully God pray what I wanted or what I thought God's will should be. But really, I, I've come to really, thankfully, Learn to pray that God's will be, whatever it is, whatever it is. And it always turns out to be way better than what I think I want it to be. And it, sometimes that's not really clear. And sometimes you won't know that for years down the road. But I can promise you without a shadow of a doubt, believe it with all my heart, I've seen it. I know it. He is faithful and he will answer and he loves you more than anything. I know that. I, guarantee, I know it. Brother. Amen. Amen. Come on now. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you so much. And I want to help. I just want to bring this night to a close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And uh, Kevin, I don't know if you know this. You, you, you don't know much about our ministry, but in your entire presentation and Sean you reeled off about eight of the 12 anchors of hope uh, in what you said. You talked about identity. You talked about obeying God. You talked about warfare. You talked about uh, just trusting God. And these are all the things we teach here at Encounter. And one of the scriptures that you shared was Jeremiah 29, 11. And I, I just want to read that over to you as sort of like a prayer of hope, a statement of hope. Uh, and if you're new to Scripture, and some of you uh, are, are you, you don't, you don't, you've never read the Bible before, uh, that, that is one of the most quoted Scriptures that you'll hear, for I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. But most people never read verse 12, 13, and 14, which tells you how to get that plan. And a great way to study the Bible is look for a statement that God makes or a statement about God, and look for instructions after the statement, instructions for me and you to do. And then right after the instructions, you'll get a promise. That's a great way to study the Bible. Uh, you look for a statement. Jeremiah 29, 11 is the statement. 12 and 13 are the instructions. And then comes a promise. So here's what I want to do. I want to read the statement to you. I want to then share with you how you get that statement. And then I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the promise that God gives you if you actually do that. So here's the statement. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay. Here's our instructions. Are you ready? 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Well, how do we do that? Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Some of that for you may, be, may mean fasting. You may need to go in a season for 40 days or a week or 21 days or fast until, tells you, until God tells you to get up. I don't know about you, but whenever I've gotten my, I've never heard, okay, get up from your knees. God may keep you on your knees. God wants you to come to him. Notice, come to him. Seek him. Pray to him. Go to him with all your heart. And here's the promise. Verse 14, I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I'll be found by you. And I'll bring you back to whatever holds you bondage and whatever keeps you stuck. So as Kevin said, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have hope. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. And I want to give each and every one of you, while we just play this worship song, and if we have to play it again and again, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to give you the opportunity, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, to get out of bondage, to live the abundant life, because as Kevin said, you can have heaven here on earth before you get to heaven. You can know what your true identity is in Christ. Is You can know who you are in Christ. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You don't have to spend an entire lifetime trying to become somebody you already are. You're a child of the one true king. You can get that established tonight. And while we're singing, while we're worshiping, I want to encourage you to get up out of your seat tonight. Maybe you want Kevin or Sean to pray for you, to pray with you, to receive or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. I'll be up here. We'll wait as long as we have to. We'll go when we're supposed to go tonight. But tonight we're going to do business with God because God wants to do business with you. This is not about playing games. This is about getting serious with your relationship with Jesus Christ. So that you can know, that you know where your eternity stands and how you can live the abundant life here on earth. Father, I just pray for everyone here right now. Settle our hearts. Silence every other voice in Jesus' name and let your voice be the only voice that we hear right now. Open up blind eyes so that they can see. Deaf ears so they can hear. Soften hard hearts so that they can receive the love that you have for them through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you watch over your word to perform over it. And I pray that for every promise that was given tonight through Sean and Kevin's testimony and teaching, I pray that, I pray that it does not come back void. It will accomplish everything that you intended it to do. And I pray for everyone that needs to hear from you, that needs a touch from you, that needs to recommit or commit their lives to you, that today is the day of salvation.
that they would get up out of their seats, even now as I'm praying. And I say, tonight's for me. I want to seek you with all my heart. I want to come to you. I want to pray to you. I want the plan that you have for me. Plan not to hurt me. Plans to prosper me and give me a hope in the future. Because I want to get out of this captivity. And I want to live for you and live for you alone. And I pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.